Hi, and welcome to the July Weedy Weedy of the Bocha podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And we're always coming to you at the intersection of assimilation and brown and proud. And the Weedy Weedy is a conversation. It's Charlene and I just, what Charlene? Clucking like hands. Talk about nothing. All the things. Mm-hmm. So our bonus content is just having a conversation, and this time around we're having a conversation about a couple things, but it's personified. So sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, in particular at, at, at your job, and it's personified because recently in the news, um, and by recent, I know we keep thinking of each day in pandemic in, in terms of years, but um, recently within the, in the last six months, we lost a member of our community. Vanessa Guillen was a specialist, posthumously uh, promoted to specialist in the army. And she went missing in April. Yeah, so mad trigger warning if you are not able to deal with the topic of sexual assault or sexual harassment or any of that right now. Things are heavy, lots going on. So um, if you need to put this episode on the back burner for a while or forever, we get it. Thank you. I, I completely forgot about that. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. And Vanessa went missing in April. No one really was doing a whole heck of a lot about it. Her her Mm-mm. family was the one who was pushing and pushing and pushing for an investigation. And lo and behold, they eventually did find her body. And in this time frame, the family was pushing not just for an investigation into her disappearance, but an investigation because Vanessa had complained to her own family that she was getting uh, harassed, sexually harassed at her job at Fort Hood in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a topic that most femme doesn't have to be cisgendered, but people who self-identify as women or femme have dealt with. In, in the workplace, um, I think that's fair to say. Maybe they don't know how to articulate it, articulate it because there's been some times where jokes have been said to me and I didn't know how to articulate that that was harassment. Um, so this happens. It's heavy and it happens. It, it does happen, unfortunately, more often than people talk about more often than people report more often than we want to believe. But I think pretty much if you get into conversation with any femme woman, female, uh, they're going to have a story for you, whether it be walking down the street, um, an unwelcome commentary or actually people following you or whatever it is all the way down to, uh, you know, sexual assault um, or harassment at the job. It's just so common. We are in a culture where that is the norm. It has been accepted as part of normal behavior. And unfortunately, sometimes it ends in a horrific way, like for this poor, um, like you said, person in our community, um, as a Latina, as as a hardworking person, as a, as a woman with a family and a mom and a sister, it's just absolutely heartbreaking that they have to deal with this now. Um, and her, one of her supposed attackers actually um, 
killed himself upon being questioned about her disappearance. So even in that, the justice, the wanting for answers, the need to know what her final moments were and all of that, that could have potentially brought that family some some peace are not going to be there. And because of the nature of being in the military, you know, there's not always going to be the transparency that we want or deserve mm. with everything that goes on in, in what we find out. Because um, in the in the pieces that I've read, the military has said that they've done some investigating, but they didn't find any evidence of sexual harassment. So they're kind of putting into two boxes her murder by this individual or allegedly by this individual mm-hmm. and uh, and the harassment she said that was happening at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that the military has had history of people who have been sexually harassed or assaulted and not coming forward because they're afraid. And that happens in any industry, right? But with the military, Mm -hmm. it's like there's that, you know, quote unquote brotherhood or sisterhood. And so you don't want to turn on somebody else. And if, Oh no, it's a brotherhood. There ain't no sisterhood. It's the brotherhood. Well, they keep shit under wraps. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's the long and the short of it. And that happens Mm -hmm. in other places as well. But you know, the military, it's like super prevalent. So we may never know exactly what happened because the person that mm-hmm. allegedly did it is is dead. Transparency may or may not happen within the military, but we know that this this happens on the day to day. Right. And the things that it brought up for me in reading about this, it hit home in a couple different ways because mm. because of the reason that it took so long, and it really took the it took the family pressuring, social media pressuring. Yep. And there was actually a, a protest outside of the gates of Fort Hood in mid-June for any movement to really happen. It reminded me of in Juarez where there's and continues to be women who are found in the desert. And mm-hmm. at its height, there was like 400 was the estimate at its like height of, of, uh, of prominence in the media. The government has said that they've done some investigating they've prosecuted some people and even that is kind of iffy on whether or not the 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 uh, confessions were beaten out of people or not but the fact that there were so many women in Juarez who have gone women and girls who have gone missing predominantly people who work in the maquiladoras and people that generally I don't want to say that society doesn't care about but they don't they're not going to do enough about them to really push any kind of investigation along. And that's why it hit with me was, was that? Well, there's a, I mean, it's tragic anytime a person goes missing under suspicious circumstances like this for an extended period of time. But there is absolutely a difference between like, you're talking about these women who are, just sort of disregarded um, versus say like Lacey Peterson or some of these other names right. of women who are white and, and society feels is prominent. Um, I know close to home, we can talk about in 2009, there was a mass grave found near Albuquerque uh, on the West Mesa of women who were 
later found to be that their commonality was that they were sex workers and had histories of substance use. And so they were that disregarded population where when reported to authorities or when it came about, it was like, oh, well, what do you expect? Look at the life they live, which I don't know how in the fuck that's supposed to mean that you deserve to meet your end in this horrible way. But for whatever reason, it feels like, oh, well, that's just the nature of things. Almost to um, be expected. Exactly. And it, it just leaves, it leaves this terrifying gap for predators to find this particular group of people to prey upon because no one's going to look for you. No one's going to be to take you seriously or to take your family seriously if, if you're not affluent, if you don't have money, if you don't have this attention. So I was so glad in many ways to see that her family actually did find social media attention and, and granted months later, but I, I do feel like that is what pressured them into actually starting to look for her and, and, and eventually ultimately, you know, pushed this, this alleged, harasser and potentially murderer to take his own life and if you know you had mentioned that with the west mesa people and or individuals who were um murdered and with the the women in um in juarez they were part of a subset that are largely overlooked right like mequiladora workers aren't gonna Mm -hmm. be prominent and in our face and celebrity status and any of that. So largely Mm -hmm. their disappearance is going to go overlooked. But I think one of the things that stands out for me is that she was an arm in the army. She was in the military Mm -hmm. and that even wearing a uniform, even taking an oath to protect this country, it just doesn't seem like enough. Like we're still not worth it when you, when you, when what you're doing is working towards this, like we we uplift and put on a pedestal the military, and yet we're still no matter how much you do that, you're you're still basically just a woman. Even within this noble profession, where you are sacrificing of yourself for the greater for your country, you're still just a woman. Absolutely, you still are inferior. Um, that culture that culture of toxic masculinity that cult that rape culture it still exists and even i would say pre- more predominantly so within that culture of the military um and I-, I mean there's a movement behind this her disappearance on death uh the hashtag i am vanessa guillen where fellow female armed forces are speaking out about their own experience and how they were not believed, how they lost their careers because of speaking out, how they were shamed and bullied and chased off because they tried to go against the grain and the culture that has been pervasive in that environment. So it's like you repeatedly get that message of either you don't matter, no one will believe you, um, or your life is is not even worth you leaving this room at the end of the day. So it, uh, what about this particular case um, stood out for you? Her age, 
Uh, she was super young. She was 20. Um, the fact that she was Latina really, and this is not to, to belittle or put into the background anybody else who's had this sexual harassment on the job. Um, but at that age and being a Latina, like what do you do in that situation? And it's happened to me on the job where I've mm. had jokes or, um, and I would say sometimes this, this, the harassment is a little bit different when I'm, because I'm gay. Um, mm-hmm. so guys think that straight guys think that it's, and it, and there's a difference between a straight work environment and a gay environment. And I say that because I have worked in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And so when straight guys think of you as one of the guys, and then they show you pictures that are like, isn't this a great, you know, expletive, like, you know, female part of the body. And when you're young and you don't know what else to do, you go along with the joke and mm. you relive that moment so many times like, oh, I could have handled it differently. I could have handled it this way. I could have handled it that way. But I didn't have the strength or the words or the vocabulary or or even the position because they were they, they'd been there longer, what have you. So mm. that stood out to me as like, yeah, at 20, what do you do? What do you so do? you didn't necessarily feel threatened in that moment, but you were sort of being called in to be one of the boys kind of thing? Kind of, but you never know when that threat is going to turn to, oh, because you just haven't found the right guy yet. Or... Mm, right. So, yes. you know, you try Point to made. walk that line of like, yes, I'm one of the guys. I shouldn't say you. I, I try to walk that line of trying to be one of the guys and fit in and not rock the boat so that I'm turned from one of the guys to, oh, now you're just a chick and mm-hmm. I can treat you differently now. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. And I, and on my end, I think when I've had inappropriate comments or whatever in as a younger female Um, it was definitely my, my default response was to nervous laugh and, uh, make a joke out of it to try to lighten the the moment to escape out of awkwardness, um, which can be then turned into, oh, but you were laughing and you enjoyed it and you thought it was funny and all of that, where it was really just, I'm trying to keep it light so I can backpedal my way out of this room, literally or figuratively. And then as I, as I got older and started to, to maybe find my own power a little bit or feel a little bit more confident, um, even then it's hard, it, depending on the situation. If you're, in a, if you're in a room with you know, a doctor or a physical therapist or something like that and you feel like something's awkward, is it awkward? Cause they're the doctor. I don't know. I'm, there are still these power positions where you question, I'm feeling like this is inappropriate. Is it really inappropriate? Which when you say it out loud, if you feel like it's inappropriate, um, it's probably inappropriate and you need to say something. Right. Right. At that. So agreed. Um, and I think when I was younger, I couldn't wait to get older so that I wouldn't be seen as a sexual being like Mm. getting older and out of reach and reaching more like grandma status or something just felt more comfortable because then I wouldn't have to deal with that. 
like if you saw me as older and and an old lady like certainly i wasn't going to be attractive or even sexualized i have spoken to far too many women who have been either sexually assaulted or harassed to the point that it affected their daily life that have used weight gain as a way to be unattractive to avoid that exact situation. If I'm not attractive, then this won't happen to me again. It's, it's the ways we have to learn to protect ourselves is as women, as, as femmes is terrifying. Um, and I, you know, and, and going back to, to Vanessa Guillen, I, she reminded me so much of my goddaughter, so yeah. much of my goddaughter, even just her likeness. And then the fact that she was in the military and all of it, that's what got me that I just was, this could have been her that we could have been getting that phone call. Right. And I, so I have, you have your goddaughter. I have a lot of family members who've been in, uh, in and around the military. And this one individual who I consider like a sister to me is, is currently in the military. And I had talked about before, um, the life of Vanessa was taken from this earth. I had talked to her before about, what it was like because she in the work that she did she was definitely the only female in the room and um i think a combination because of her age she was not a spring chicken when she went in mm. and because of um she's not what um in the spectrum that is femme masculine, she's a little bit masculine leaning of femme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think her age and her placement in, and if you believe in that spectrum, kind of put her in a place where she was not going to be, this is mm -hmm. like, maybe not to say she didn't have the jokes or didn't have any of that surrounding her. Sure. She was probably not going to feel the same type of masculine aggression otherwise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of grateful of that for her mm -hmm. because she's a small little package she's a firecracker but she is small package so you know I'd be afraid of like someone trying to take advantage of my small little mm -hmm. package sister mm -hmm. no I you bring up a good point that I obviously it's not from my own lens but uh, a person that we mutually know actually talked to me and brought up the point of butch privilege to me that I had never even heard or thought of that term, but she was talking about herself as someone who identifies as butch and saying that at some point she had to recognize that in a world of, of males that she held this ability to interact differently than, say, I would, which was really interesting for me. <sighs> it's it's um, particularly important for me this topic because I and we've talked about before but I am a survivor of a very violent sexual assault um, I'm also the mother of a daughter who I cannot imagine being in the position to to have her 
either missing or hurt or whatever, uh, it strikes a different chord with me because of my personal experience. Um, it's not something I have to imagine because I know, and that just is a different experience. Um, it's a, it's an emotion. It's not just a thought process. It's a feeling of fear and a need to protect her and to make the world better so that she doesn't have to go through all of this. And, um, you know, you, I mean, you have daughters too. How does this, in thinking of them, how does this affect you and, and how you relate to the story? So uh, we have had conversations with both two daughters, two sons. I, I hold all of our kids to the same expectation that if they see anything, if they, even if it's their friends, they're going to call them out on it. Um, you help when help is necessitated. Um, but there's definitely a different conversation with the girls mm -hmm. than there is with the boys. Because unfortunately, that's the shittily, that's the, not unfortunately, shittily, that's the society we live in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've come, I've been open about my history with them. Um, and we had this conversation when we were watching the show 13 Reasons. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen that show, um, that's a huge, huge warning, a trigger warning, because mm -hmm. it, it does cover a lot of things, not just assault, but suicide. And um, that show allowed for those conversations to happen. And I think this opportunity or th this tragic event allows for another opportunity to, to reiterate with them, like, even if you are in uniform, that doesn't protect you. Mm -hmm. shittily that doesn't protect you I, I so appreciate you I just brought up your girls but you brought up the boys and that is the missing conversation how are we talking to our young men about their responsibility to not only treat women as equals but to ensure that other people and that the greater society is um, upholding that standard as well. So thank you for bringing that up. I, I'm trying to get out of that uh, idea that the pressure is all on her and she um, because we're not raping ourselves. So Right, right. And, and the conversations have changed. Like the conversation with our parents was vastly different than the conversation that I'm having with our kids as a whole. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, what I told my girls was like, I've got a couple shovels and if anything ever happened, I'm not afraid of digging a hole out, out in the desert, but, um, because that's a, that's a feel of a parent to want to protect. I mean, that's a joke that I say that in a jest with them, but I also want to get across how much as a parent I want to protect them. And I can't be with them every single day, 24 hours a day, being a bodyguard. Also, that would be kind of awkward. Um... So I just want to like give them that sense that like, we'll always have your back and I'll always believe you. You know, that my sexual assault happened when I was 20 years old and I, I happened to be at work um, and it was not a person that I knew. It was a stranger, which I know puts me in a rare percentage and it 
um, was actually a person who had a history of this. He was a serial rapist and we never had those conversations in my house. That was not something that was talked to with me. And so when it happened to me, it changed the way my family saw rape and sexual assault. It was no longer this girl at a party who had too much to drink, who was wearing something questionable, which was probably the unspoken stereotype that we held. It was me at work with combat boots and jeans and a sweater on. And it really shook the foundation of, I mean, my life, A, but how I understood the world and how I perceived danger. And um, I think one of the memories that I will never get out of my head is the moment my mom walked into the emergency room and saw me badly beaten. I never want to be her in that moment, ever. And I just imagine this girl's mother and every girl on the West Mesa who didn't come home and every woman in Juarez who never made it off of their shift. And I like, we can't be that mom. We cannot be that getting that phone call. And how do we, as females, as women, as people, how do we rise up against that culture? Um, and it feels it, it feels impossible so many times because of the pushback and the power that already has been established, you know. I don't know. Um, and we talked about before, I think, in our last episode and in, in our quince, even, even if we reach racial equality, there's still gender equality that has to happen because it comes in layers and it comes in waves. And we are not the first thought. We are not included in all men are created equal. Right. That's not us. And these, like the weedy weedies, are conversations that need to keep happening. Um, hopefully this spurs other conversations that listeners have among their families, among their friends. Um, the more I walk this earth, the more I find people like you and I who have a history of assault and you know the the shame that comes around it kind of is taken off or at least just enough to start those conversations and there's really there's I can count on one hand the people in my in my life that haven't been assaulted as opposed to the people in my life who have absolutely and who have not been comfortable taking the steps whatever it is that that would make them um or help them be in their comfort of coming forward and having these conversations but these are definitely conversations that even if talking about your own experience is not you're not there yet Mm -hmm. um talking to your kids talking to nephews nieces primas siblings nibblings these kinds of things need to happen and not Mm -hmm. just to our daughters and not just about what you wear because it is an unspoken thing of like 
well, what was she wearing? How many Absolutely. people did she date? That it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you need to have those conversations with all, all of the people across a gender sex spectrum because everybody needs to be respecting physical space. And maybe, maybe COVID is a blessing in disguise because it's creating a distance. Mm. And un- yeah, fool, don't be all up on me. You don't need to be all exactly. in my space. Get your six Move. feet away. Like, give me the mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. But definitely the weedy weedy needs to happen, even among family. Like, when you sit down and you just, you have a weedy weedy with your family, sometimes things come out that you, like, didn't expect. And then you have that mm-hmm. aha moment with that. Well, how many of all of our elders experience this that don't talk about it because it wasn't allowed and when you bring it up it's shocking to hear what they endured as part of the norm and and because i'm closer with my mom's side of the family i suspect even more Mm -hmm. so i can't confirm but i suspect even more so because a good portion of my family are are immigrants Mm -hmm. and there's that you know, there's being a woman, there's, there's being a woman in a time frame where all of the power was in one, one place. And then there's being an immigrant on top of that. And you didn't have any kind of leverage, any kind of wherewithal to, to be able to just, you just, you felt like you didn't have any power control over the situation Absolutely. in a multiple amount of ways. Yeah, the layers add to the powerlessness of your experience. And it's, you know, we, I mean, our motto should be it's complicated because I think <laughs> we talk so much about how your identities add to your experience in this world. And, and this is certainly one of those topics that it, it gets so deep and so complicated. And it is, it's, it's complicated, not just in the experiences that you have as a woman walking this earth or as a femme or as a, you know, cisgender or not woman, but also it's complicated even within our cultura and our, with our gente that mm-hmm. you revere the Virgen de Guadalupe, but you don't treat everybody like they're the Virgen of, de Guadalupe. You, you, you have this macho not everybody. I know that's a, a, a generalization, but acknowledge that there is a machoism and there's that dichotomy of how you revere, you're supposed to revere the woman and you don't. But it's, and we've talked about this before, what type of woman do you revere? Only the pure virgen right. status is to be revered. Everyone else is lesser. Right. And you know, the the slut shaming and all of that starts coming into play when you are no longer that pure white flower that deserves my respect because now you're just inferior once again. And you see it in so many ways play out in, in social media, on, on TV, on, you know, like Cinderella, damn, like she had to work so hard to, she was put down and worked so hard just to find a man. It's like, you get told over and over again the type of person you have to be in order to find love. And Cat, I told you the other night I was just in my feels. The pandemic is continuously sucking out my life 
from my core every day uh, is different. Some days I'm good. Some days I'm not. I thought it was a good day. Got to the end of the day. My husband and I are watching a movie. Don't know what to watch. Pick a Netflix movie with Matthew McConaughey. We're like, oh, it's Matthew McConaughey. This could be safe. It could be good. Whatever. Start watching it. Proceeds to have these horribly violent scenes against women. And I, I go, I went from a totally relaxed, like in my glass of wine, about ready to go to bed, just Netflix and chilling to pulling out the full on gigantic soapbox, dragging that shit into the living room, climbing up and being like, why does every fucking movie have to end this way? Why does every fucking movie have to have this? savagery against women and this attack and this this is how people learn to treat women and this is how women think they're just des- they deserve to be treated and i'm going off and he's just looking at me like i thought we were just trying to watch a movie like do, do you need more popcorn wine what is happening right now <laughs> and i'm just losing my shit because it's in your face everywhere if it's in marketing, it's in movies, it's in music, it's everywhere your senses touch that women are the lesser species. You're giving me a look. I don't even know what it is. No, you're speaking a whole bunch of truths that, you know, I, I stay away from, mm-hmm. from chick flicks a lot. And I, I, I don't know how to articulate that, like, I say like, no, that's just a bunch of bullshittery that I just can't get along with or, you know, that's just not my genre. But, you know, it's so much, again, complex. Like, A, they're usually straight. B, they're Mm. usually white women. Mm -hmm. C, there's all of these other, like, subplots that you have. So I'm like, no, I can't get, how do I even relate to that? I know it's supposed to be, for the most part, lighthearted and all the things. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I can't relate to any of that. So instead, I watch ghost hunting. Not that I can <laughs> relate to whole, a lot of that, too. But but that's a good point, because I could spin the wheel and end up on this movie that I think is going to be fine and end up on my soapbox when I'm just trying to relax. Or I can watch Sweet Home Alabama, where I know it's going to be all the cheese mm-hmm. and... I'm not going to be in my head about the plight of women in this country for the rest of the evening because, you know, Reese Witherspoon, we're going to be cool. Well, bringing this back to Vanessa and and our weedy weedy about not just Vanessa, but the larger view on sexual harassment, it, it really does. I shouldn't dilute it to say it really does come down to, but a lot of it does have to do with the things that we see every day fed to us in the media. Um, And again, these are things that we have to shift and change and have our own conversations about. Um, Mm -hmm. And keep her, keep Vanessa, keep all the Vanessas in our mind. Like we can't forget, we cannot forget because the moment that we start forgetting is when we get complacent Mm -hmm. about society and where it's at. Because there are a million Vanessa's around the world they may not have been wearing camo 
Mm-hmm. You know, they may have been wearing a business suit. They may have been trying to give us a warning about a Supreme Court justice in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Real. And you know what? And they may have been a sex worker. And they True. may have had a history of substance use. True. And they may have had kids at home. And they may have been all of those things. All that to say they are us. We are them. And, you know, I had... I had some slight reservations when you said this is what you wanted to talk about, but we've, we, we've talked about this for over a year that this was going to be a topic we brought up because it's important and it's critical. And if we are not having this conversation, then we can't tell other people to be having it. We are the people that need to be having this conversation. So I thank you for pushing me into um, a space of, of power, of platform, of voice because, you know, all of our four listeners are going to hear this <laughs> uh, and be inspired to take action. Um, no, but it is. We're very, I'm very privileged. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in the space that I'm at. And I, uh, I thank you for bringing this up and, and moving it into the place where it needed to be. Well, these are weedy weedies that you and I have had on the side, mm-hmm. uh, a ton of, I think. And I think this is, you know, something like you said that we, if we don't talk the talk, we can't expect other people mm. to talk the talk. Yep. And again, we need to keep her always at the forefront. Like the moment we start forgetting, that's when we get complacent about it and we've stopped doing the, the good work that we need to do in order to shift it. Yep. And that work could be a conversation. That work could be you standing up for yourself in a moment instead of doing the nervous laugh. That could be you telling your own story to someone when you have refrained from doing that because you were afraid of being believed. That might be donating to a domestic violence shelter or an organization that helps women who have been sexually assaulted. That might be you being a person who takes in rape kits and processes them as a job because that is hard ass work. There are so many ways to be involved in this and in making it right. This, this means you are talking to your sons and your boys about how to be in this world in a way that is helping and not hurting Um, There are so many ways to be involved. There are so many ways to do your part. So I hope that we can, uh, it takes all of us. It's going to take all of us. It's not going to change overnight. So it's going to take all of us to, to make this revolutionary change, to shift the culture to one that is um, safe and where people can just go to work, go to school and, and come home. Safely, every day. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So this is the Pocha Podcast. Uh, This is our Weedy Weedy. It's our bonus content that we want to share with everybody. These are just conversations that we have. Just picture it. We're at your kitchen table, and we're bringing you in on that conversation. And hopefully you'll have this conversation, too, over, you know, uh, uh, hot chocolate or a paleta, as it were, during the summer. Um, But yes, this is the Pocha Podcast. 
we hope that you got something out of this. Uh, a little bit uh, heavy, but off our chest and out in the mm-hmm. out in the ether for everybody to have. I am Cat. I'm sure. And we'll see you in the next episode or episodio. <laughs>